0: This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. We're talking about being a follower. This is our series. We've done several messages and we're continuing on. I want to go back to my original definition. I'm enjoying this series. I hope you're enjoying this series. You're enjoying this series. Can I hear an amen? All right. We're talking about what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ by what the Scripture says, not by what we've heard or even our own experience. The standard we're going by is really the standard that Jesus gives us in the Gospels. My definition for a follower is pretty simple. A person who knows, loves, and serves Jesus as the supreme passion of life, everything else comes second. So that's pretty simple. You put Jesus at the center. He's the first Everything else comes second. We talked about the five groups of people on the journey through the Gospels. I've categorized these into these particular words, but these do represent what happened in the Gospel. Admires, those who admire Jesus and he touches their life. The inquirers, those who try to get closer have questions, but they want their questions answered. The responders, they ask A very, very important question. And then the followers, which we will define in this message. And then the reproducers, what it means to actually be a reproducer of other disciples in your life. Responders, as we dealt with in the last message, is this. People who respond to Jesus positively with an attitude that asks, and this is the question that I'm hoping everybody is least gone here. What more does God want of me? What more does God want of me? Would you say it out loud? What more does God want of me? Now that's a risky question because God will bring forth the answer. God will speak to your life. God will lead you into fulfilling that question. God, what more do you want of me? And then God will begin to move in and activate his work in your life. That's what God does. Now followers, this is what we're talking about now. You can be an admirer, inquirer, responder, but now we're talking about followers, those who have decided to devote all of life to Jesus. Those are pretty heavy terms or are pretty weighty words. To devote anything and everything to anyone, we're talking about the Lord Jesus. But still, these are weighty words. Devote all of life to Jesus. To live like Jesus, which is our theme and motto here at City Bible Church, live like Jesus, share his love, and a followers to live like Jesus, love, and serve like Jesus. So we become like Jesus. Pretty simple, isn't it? We just become like Jesus. That's a tall order. But it's very simple to understand. Why? Because there's a lot written about Jesus. We can understand the life of Jesus. We can understand the character of Jesus. We can understand the death of Jesus. We can understand the teachings of Jesus. The Lord Jesus is a very public person. A lot has been said about him, and he said a lot about himself. And so for us to live like Jesus, that's not a mystery, but there is a gap, a gap between us and the reality of living like that. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to move beyond admiring him for who he is, although I want to keep that awe. I want to inquire. I want to ask questions to Jesus. I also want to respond with whatever you want to do in my life, What more do you want to do in my life, Lord? I want to respond to that. But I want to follow on to this particular definition, and I want it fulfilled in my life, in your life. To live like Jesus. Serve like Jesus. Love like Jesus. All right, you may be surprised with what I'm going to do this morning, because I'm going to deal with the Scriptures that deal with this word follower and show you what exactly it means. You may be surprised... Be prepared to be shocked and amazed at the level of commitment that Jesus requires if you decide to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. When you decide to move on with Jesus, there's some pretty amazing things that he says. Now again, Christianity is founded by the man Christ Jesus. It's written about by scholars and historians and philosophers and people of all ages and kinds and backgrounds. But the actual mandate given by the founder of Christianity is the best mandate to go to when it comes to understanding what I must do to become a follower of Christ. People follow all kinds of things, and we know that in life, and they will dedicate to all kinds of things. On Olympic person that will go to the Olympics. They are dedicated from a child to do things that nobody else will maybe do with their life. They're dedicated. They're required to eat a certain way, exercise a certain way. They are absolutely radical about their commitment. We don't think anything about that except to praise them for their achievement. If you want to be a doctor, the years that you will spend in college, the years you will spend in preparation, or any other profession, we would never question that and say, you know, that's awesome that you would do that. That's an awesome thing that you would actually prepare yourself and that you would give yourself, commit yourself, you would fulfill all the requirements. What happens with Christianity is that we actually lower the standards and we actually make Christianity The easiest idea to get into and the easiest idea to get out of, which millions of Americans have gotten out of, because they're not challenged. Their lifestyle was never changed. They were never touched by the message of Christ. They went to church and they were disappointed. They didn't want to just be a church person. They didn't want the level that churches offer. They wanted to go deeper into life, and so some of them changed religion. Some of them have changed and and opted out of church. Some of them have just frustrated and, and stalemated and stopped in their journey to understand anything about the spiritual disciplines of life, and we don't want that to happen. So the only way to solve that is to go back to the Scripture and ask ourselves the question, what does Jesus say about being a follower? I want you to go to the Gospel of Mark. Find chapter 8 in your Bible, go to verse 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, right in there, those section of words, those verses, 8 of the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8. I'm going to be referring to begin with verse 34, find it in your Bible, I want you to mark the words, I want you to follow with me so that you understand, these are the words of the Lord Jesus to actually capture the heart of a follower. Mark 8, 34. I want you to notice just the first phrase. Underline and let me go to work on this first phrase. Whoever, come on, someone say whoever. Whoever anyone desires to come after me. Those who want to follow me. This is what Jesus is doing now. He's talking to the people about their desires, says, now, listen, he's talking to multitudes and a multitude of disciples. This is not just the 12, this is a group of disciples and a multitude of people. There was a lot more than just 12 people called disciples at the beginning as Jesus began to put out his message. Disciples and the multitudes run into this verse right here. If anyone, Luke 9, 23 is a parallel package, As you look at Mark 8, 34, that whole package of scriptures in Luke chapter 9 parallels what Mark does in Mark chapter 8, but we're going to look at Mark chapter 8. Here's Luke 9, 23. Then he said to them all, if, I want you to say the word if, if out loud, word if, say it again, if, one more time, if, if, anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Notice the followers If anyone, question, this is our first step now. If anyone, the disciples and the multitudes, just like us, we've witnessed so much about what Jesus can do. They had witnessed miracles and healings. Peter's mother-in-law was healed. The lepers were healed. The cripples were healed. The withered hand restored. The demons cast out. This is all previous to Mark chapter 8. Calming of the storm on the sea. Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. The woman with the issue of blood for 12 years was healed, feeding the 5,000, walking on the water. A deaf mute is healed, feeding the 4,000. People forget there was a 5,000 and a 4,000. Blind man healed when Jesus spit on his eyes. Now, after all the revelation, the admirers, the inquirers, the responders, some people are following Jesus at a level here. There's a level of response. They have followed him to the point that they have watched him, they have heard him, they've been involved with some of these mighty miracles, they've been at awe, but now at this point, he says, if anyone, if anyone desires to go deeper, if you desire to actually become one of my followers with my definition, I know that you have seen, you've believed, you've been touched, you've watched other people get touched, but now you must make a decision, and the decision is to move past the word if. Matthew 16, 24, if anyone desires to come after me. John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there he may be, if anyone. Mark 8, 34 is taking up this word if and driving it home to say, if you desire, if you're open, If you're moving from the group of multitudes to the multitudes of disciple groups, if you're going from the larger to the smaller to finally the core, he says you have to get through this word if. Here's my definitions as you understand what this really means to you and I. If If introduces a situation that will happen with certain conditions when they are fulfilled or met. So if is a bridge word, it's a conditional word. It places responsibility on the person to take action. In order to move, and this is what we're after, from possibility to realization. Now I believe, I've been touched, I'm on a journey, I admire Jesus, I've inquired about Jesus, I've responded to certain things. I've responded to, yes, Lord, I want to see more of this. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Son of God. Yes, I want to be around where you are and what you're doing. That's a response, and people have come to that level. But if you're going to move from possibility to realization, you have to step over the line, and you have to hear what Jesus is going to say. Second definition for if, if, Removes all restrictions, we have them. Excuses, reservations. Even though these are challenges, you cross the line and you turn if into yes, I will. It's done, absolutely. Now this is a progressive decision. And when you go through the Gospels, you will find the disciples went through progressive decisions about this if question at least in three definite pivotal times in the group of 12 as they've moved through decisions to go deeper. I don't believe a person actually chooses when they're born again to become a disciple. They're choosing salvation. They're choosing forgiveness. They're choosing hope. They're choosing to be touched by God. They're choosing to allow Jesus to take their baggage. Those are good choices. It's awesome that people do that. I don't believe at the time of an altar call or a small group meeting or wherever you find Christ, a friend leading you to Jesus, I don't think the conversation dips into the requirements of a follower. We basically want them to buy into redemption, atonement, salvation, cleansing, hope, Healing for your soul. Jesus wants to do something in your life. That's awesome. And it starts there. But it should not end there. You should go beyond that possibility into the reality of becoming a follower of Jesus. And this is where I think, in our particular nation, we don't take people deep enough. We don't take people far enough. We don't challenge them with the words of Jesus. We let salvation be a first-base experience. We don't take them to second. We let it be first level. We don't worry about second level. And so what happens is that people then get used to living for Jesus at that level, and they think that's the only level there is, or that's the only level they want, and they don't move any further. It's with this same group of people that Jesus says, I want you to come follow me. Will you say yes? Jesus is asking you and I the same question. Will you step over? Will you follow me the way I want you to follow me? Will you take the follow step? If you will. You're on this side of the line. You're admirer, inquirer, responder. You have salvation. You have forgiveness. You have hope. You have healing. You have Jesus. I'm not saying you don't have Jesus. And I'm not saying if you don't become a follower You don't know Jesus. You do know Jesus at that level. And Jesus is now saying to that group of people, will you take my challenge and go beyond where you've been? Will you actually step over the line? And will you hear what I'm going to say? And if you will respond to it, then you will become one of my followers by my definition. Jesus is asking us as individuals to go beyond, beyond attraction, beyond just my need, beyond coming to church just to get my feel, to get my cup filled up. It's beyond that. It's moving to something more. What is that more? It's simple. It's right there in Mark chapter 8. Follow with me, verse 34, 35 Look at your Bible. See the words of Jesus. The followers' call is what authentic discipleship. This might sound basic. This might sound like Frank. I think we're to know this, but I don't think we actually live this. I think we need some help to be encouraged here. I think we need to look at the words of Jesus. Mark 8:34, 35. When he had called the people to himself, with His disciples also. He said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Let me read it out of the Gospel of Luke now, chapter 14. Luke 14, just put the text down. Luke 14, 26 through 33 in the Message Translation. Listen to the parallel thought by Dr. Luke as it parallels the Apostle Mark. Luke 14, 26, Message Translation. One day, when large groups of people were walking along with Jesus, Jesus turned and told them, Anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go. Isn't this really the bottom line right here? Who refuses to let go. Father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters. Yes, even one's own self. You cannot be my disciple. Anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me, can't be my disciple. Is there anyone here who, planning to build a new house, doesn't first sit down and figure the cost so you'll know if you can complete it? If you only get a foundation laid and then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Anyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. Or you can imagine a king going into battle against another king without first deciding whether it is possible with his 10,000 troops to face the 20,000 troops of the other. And if he decides he can't, won't he send an emissary and work out a truce? Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, and this is Truly with the message translation, I think the heart of the passage, he brings it right out in the most simplistic way. If you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. Now Mark eight thirty-four, Luke 14, 26 and following, what he's saying in both of these passages in becoming a disciple, Jesus is simply saying, I must be the center I must be the core. I must be in charge. I must be able to direct, not just suggest. I must be your Lord, not just your Savior. I must be your master, not just your friend. If you're not willing to let go of your own plans and your own life, really, you cannot follow me as a disciple. You can be an admirer. You can be an inquirer. But you cannot be, you will not be a follower. Jesus is pretty clear about becoming a disciple. Your whole life is going to be reoriented. As you put Christ as the center, everything changes. Your orientation will change because from the core, everything has changed in your life. Let me give you a little bit more in detail now the seven choices of fully devoted followers of Christ. I'm taking these from Mark chapter eight, it's in the scripture there, and Luke chapter 14, verse 26, a couple thoughts from there. But these are the seven absolute choices that Jesus puts in front. Now, these seven things are not the seven characteristics, seven marks, these are the choices. They have not become this yet. Jesus has only said to them, if, that is, there's a possibility, that you could move into the reality of being a disciple that is really defined by my standards. The potential is there. You possibly can become this person, but it's your choice. It's always our choice, not forced on us. Now we know from Philippians chapter 2 that the Lord will work into us even the grace to make a decision because it says in Philippians 2 that the Lord works in what we can work out. And it's actually the Spirit of God that graces us to respond to the grace of God. It's the Spirit of God and the grace of God that works in us to make our will so that we can be soft enough and bend enough and by the empowering of the Holy Spirit actually respond to what Jesus wants. I understand that. You need the Holy Spirit to help you do what we're preaching today. And the Holy Spirit is committed to doing that. He's committed to helping you know exactly how to do this as a disciple. Seven choices. Number one, I call this the cannot reality. No reservations choice. Three times in Luke chapter 14, Jesus uses this term cannot be my disciple, you cannot be my disciple, you cannot be my disciple. Verse 26, 27, and 33, he uses this phrase, you cannot be my disciple unless something happens inside of you. And this is an interesting play on a compound Greek word. The compound Greek word alk and and "dumai." means power or ability. You can hear the word dunamis in there, but it's a different uh, aspect of this word, meaning those who try to come after Jesus, listen carefully, with less than total commitment decision, do not have the power or ability to become serious followers of Christ. The idea is you can be willing, but not able to carry out your willingness. No reservations. You engage your willingness with able and choose to submit your entire being to following Christ. And that's what it takes to move through the cannot reality, to move past that. You have to have a core decision. You have to be willing, but your willingness has to have an ability, a capacity that comes through Jesus helping you, willing and able laid close together in this verse. The will is the source of Abel. The will is the source of Abel. That core decision that you make, same way you did when you said, I want Jesus to be my savior, that was a core decision decision that you step over the line and the holy spirit then rushes in and takes that core decision and moves you into new birth and moves your life into a new place it's the same way when you make this decision right here to become a follower of christ the possibility is in front of you the question is will you own the challenge you possess the capability it's within reach it's within your core It's in the heart of hearts. You can do this. It's not hidden from you. It's not out of reach from you. But your willingness has to grab a hold of your capacity and ability that comes through that decision where Jesus will take that and say, if you will move yourself to that kind of a serious, no turning back, no reservations, I can do this, I will do this, I'm making up my mind. If a man puts his hand on the plow, and looking back, later on Jesus talks about this with discipleship, he's not fit for the kingdom of God. What is it? That's a decision. Put your hand to the plow. Put your will to the yes. Make up your mind. Know that you have a challenge, but you can cross the line. And that's what Jesus is doing here, where he says, You can be a disciple if you make that kind of a decision. Canon the Cough by C.S. Lewis. Quote: The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, is to hand over your whole self, all your wishes and precautions to Christ. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. I don't want to cut off a branch here and a branch there, I want to have the whole tree down. I don't want to drill the true tooth or crown it or stop it, but to have it out. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think innocent as well as the ones you think wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will, should become yours. That's a great reading about what it means to cross over the line. Number two, the second thing you do, Jesus says, deny yourself. No rivals. There can be no rivals in this decision. Your disciplines that you're going to move into can have no rival. You discipline yourself to focus only on Jesus and remove the clutter of things your flesh wants to do. It's not complicated, but it's to the core. Jesus says, You want to follow me? Self cannot be on the throne. Self cannot be what you will please. Self cannot be the boss. Self cannot be the goal. You cannot live after yourself. If you're willing to nail yourself down, if you're willing to trade yourself in, then you can follow me because that's how I do it. I work from the inside out. You must say no to the things you want. You must forget yourself. This is different translations of deny yourself. You must say no to the things you want. That's simple. You must forget yourself. That's hard has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat any longer. How much clearer can it get? You must give up the things you've always wanted. You must say no to yourself. You must turn from your selfish ways. Your discipline is that you put Christ, again, at the center of a real life. Denying self requires us giving up ourselves and place Jesus at the center of the life. Number three, Jesus says, all right, do you have it? You have to have your will, core decision. You have to understand self cannot be the center. And three, you have to take up your cross. No refusals. You have to pick up your individual cross. That cross is where your will crosses my will. That makes a cross. That cross is when the power of the Lord Jesus wants to kill something in your life. You have to die to self. Cross life is a death life. Cross life is putting to death those things that do not please Jesus. The Apostle Paul takes this. A lot further in Galatians and Romans. And we understand what it means to put a death blow to self. And where self and all the carnal man begins to function outside of the love and grace of God. We have to put a death blow to that. It's our discipline. It's our decision to do that. We don't live a sloppy Christian life. We're a follower. We're going to pick up our cross. Even though we don't like the cross we pick up. Each person has to bear their own burden. We die to self. Every day we put a death blow to those things that hinder Jesus from living in us and through us. We die to selfish ambitions. We die to selfish rights. We live differently. We're not cut from the world's mold, we're not after the world culture. We have Jesus at the center now. We're willing to die to those carnal thoughts, those carnal ambitions, the the wrong way of living. We're willing to do that. Galatians 5.24, among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else called necessities is killed off for good. It is crucified. That's Galatians 5.24. Colossians 3, verses 3 through 7 For as far as the world is concerned, you are already dead. This is an amazing scripture if you read it in different translations Colossians 3 3 through 7. For as far as this world is concerned, you're dead. Sin is not dead, you are dead to sin. The world is not dead, you are dead to the world. Sin will operate, the world will operate, the devil will operate pleasures and temptations and everything that the flesh might want to do. But you're supposed to be a dead man. You are dead to those things. They're not dead, but you're dead. You don't respond to them. For as the world is concerned, you're already dead. Your true life is hidden one in Christ. One day Christ, the secret center of our lives, will show himself openly and you will share in that magnificent event. Insofar then as you have Life upon this earth, consider yourself dead to worldly contacts. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, dirty-mindedness, uncontrolled passion, evil desire, and the lust for other people's goods, which last, remember, is as serious a sin as idolatry. It is because of these things that the holy anger of God falls upon those who refuse to obey Him. An interesting verse here. And never forget that you had your part in those dreadful things when you lived that old life. T. Austin Sparks, quote from his writings, We have not to die. We are dead. We have not to do is to accept our death. What we have to do is accept our death. In Christ and In water baptism, by the way, water baptism is a death blow to the old man. It's a covenantal blow. It's something everybody should do. If you were not Baptized properly in the name of the Lord Jesus at a time when you knew Jesus. Anything before you knew Jesus does not count. It only counts once you know Jesus because it's covenantal. And when you move into the waters of baptism, it says you step into the waters of death. It's a death blow to the old man. Believe it. When you get water baptized, there will be something in your life that will cut away the old. It says in Romans 2, it's an operation made without hands. Supernaturally, the Holy Spirit reaches into your heart. How can that be? We don't know. How powerful is Jesus in the water? It is a faith fact. It's not something that I can explain to you. The Bible says it happens. In Christ and in water baptism, we simply step into the water and we say, that position which God has settled with reference to me is the one which I now accept. And I testify here in this way to the fact that I have accepted God's position for me. Namely, that in the cross I have been brought To an end. What an awesome thought. In the cross, I have been brought to an end. In the cross, I have been brought to the death blow of self. In water baptism, I have identified that through covenant and I'm standing now in a new place on new ground and the new ground is life in Christ and I will not go back to the old. And when the old man springs up and the old thoughts come against me, I will position myself by faith and say, I am dead to those things. That man does not live anymore. That is a dead man. I am a corpse. That dead man does not do those things anymore. That's your position. Number four, The next thing that Jesus says is follow me. It's a choice. No retreats. No retreating back. You determine to follow Jesus forward, never deviate. Or retreat from that resolve. Please do that today. Do that today. Make a resolve. No going back. Follow Jesus. Let him lead your every step. Let your life start taking the same road that Jesus has taken. Following Jesus is a lifestyle. The following of Jesus is something that Jesus says over and over again. Mark 1:17 and 18, follow me and I will make you. Mark 1, follow me and I will make you. Mark 2, 14, he passed by and he said to them, follow me. And they arose and they followed him. It's a lifestyle decision. It's a core decision. Number five, he also says, you've got to lose your life. With no regrets. A very powerful insight that Jesus gives in living our life under his grace and him as the center with this phrase. If you lose your life, you find it. If you gain your life, you lose it. You have to understand where life comes from, because if you're trying to live life outside of what Jesus is saying, he says, your life will be a disappointment. Your life will be unfruitful. Your life, you will come to the end and you will say, it was not worth it. I did not give myself to the right thing. He says, if you lose your life in me, you'll find the life you could never have if you didn't find it in me. But if you keep your own life, you will lose the life that Jesus has. Mark 8, 35, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, You will save it. What he is saying, self-help is no help at all. You give it up. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving your life. Again, C.S. Lewis, I wish I was as smart as this man. C.S. Lewis, a mere Christianity says, give up yourself, and you will find your real self. Lose your life, and you will save it. Submit to death, the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and the death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred. If you live for yourself, you will find in the long run hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But live for Christ, and you will find him. And with him, everything else is thrown in. Number six. You'll, you'll have to live a life where you're never ashamed of Jesus. In Mark 8, verse 38, if people are ashamed of me and what I say in this unfaithful and sinful generation, that is the backdrop of the culture of an adulterous, unfaithful generation that's sinful and horrible in their base values, their base pleasures and everything about them. If you're so comfortable with that kind of a generation and that kind of a culture that you will never ever say anything about Jesus and never bring forth the true life of the disciple, He says, "You're you're ashamed of me, but how could you in light of What you're living in, you should not ever be ashamed in light of a sinful, horrible culture that is faithless and unfaithful and adulterous. He says, you've got to speak up. Don't be ashamed. Message says, if any of you are embarrassed over me, and the way I'm leading you when you get around your fickle and unfocused friends, know that you'll be an even greater embarrassment to the Son of Man when he arrives in all the splendor of God, his Father, with an army of holy angels. Jesus says, when you are ashamed, never speak up, never share, never open, never ever bring forth the word of a disciple, which is actually to produce in other people the life of Christ, the message of Christ, the extension of the kingdom of God, because you believe in the kingdom of God. You are disloyal to Jesus. Because of that, Jesus says, I'm embarrassed with you. Number seven, the disciples' life choice. No rights. You devote yourself to building the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of you, and you give up the rights. You bear your cross, deny yourself, put him at the core. You reorientate your life. You restructure your life. You walk a different path. You really are under the drum beat of a different drummer, Your, your thoughts, your values, the way you live, you're a disciple, you're a follower. Your belief system is in front of everybody. You're not embarrassed. You're living out and you're speaking out. You're not letting the culture put you into their mold or push you around with their values or embarrass you at your job or embarrass you at your school. You're a disciple. You're serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're serving truth, not error. You're serving eternity, not temporarily things. You are serving what is the most important. Do not be ashamed of that. Speak up. Speak out. Deliver the message. Extend the kingdom. Be a follower of the Lord Jesus. Every head bowed. Every campus, every head bowed right now. Say, Frank, I'm listening to this, and I believe that I should move from being just an admirer, just an inquirer, just a responder, although those are are great levels I've been on, I want to move to becoming a follower. In your heart of hearts, close the deal with the Holy Spirit this morning. Say to the Lord Jesus, I want to cross the line. I want a core decision. I want to know going back. I will never retreat. If you're here and you've never, ever accepted Christ, you've never, ever turned your life to Jesus, say, Pastor Frank, I want to turn my whole self to Jesus. I don't want to waste my life. That's what you will do if you do not turn your life to Jesus. Your life will turn out to be a waste. 70 years, 80 years, and that's all you want? No eternity, no eternal fruit, no real peace, joy that lasts through every storm. You are trading yourself for something cheaper when you keep your life. If you want Jesus to be the center, Lord of your life, every head bowed, but everyone praying, I want you right now for those that are crossing that line to lift your hand. Look at me right now and lift your hand, those that are making this decision. Look at me and lift your hand and just say in your heart, I'm that person. I'm ready to follow Jesus. I'm that person. I'm ready to trade myself in. I'm that person. I want my life to be significant. I cannot fulfill myself. Let's all stand together. Everybody just kind of spread your hands open a little bit like this. Just pray with me, Jesus. I want to be a follower. Here I go. I'm stepping over the line in Jesus' mighty name.